Good afternoon and welcome to the latest edition of Lunchtime Learnings. I'm honoured to be joined by Kevin Hollingrake, um, MP from um, Thurston Moulton, um, also founding partner and MD of Hunters as well. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. I, can, ima I can imagine you're um, incredibly busy at the moment with everything that's going on. Yeah, it is busy. I mean, we're not in Parliament as often because we're kind of obviously asked to stay at home when we can, although I've been in you know, a few times over the last few weeks through the lockdown. But um, but it's still very busy. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of people got clearly issues with COVID and other things and, um, and normal constituency work goes on and businesses particularly. I, I do an awful lot of work in Parliament um, in trying to promote the cause of SMEs. You know, it's I got the opportunity I did in life through starting a business and uh, I, you know, I, I, anything I can do to help people do the same and prosper, I love doing. So lots and lots of, of queries on that, looking after, you know, helping people with uh, bounce back loans and COVID and coronavirus loans and business interruption insurance and job retention scheme, all these things. So, and, and it runs two ways. So you get the information from the sharp end, you know, when you want to know what's going on, speak to people at the sharp end. And then it's great that to be able to take it back to Chancellor or to the, the Prime Minister or whatever or the various ministers and say, listen, we've got this slightly wrong, and this needs tweaking. And that does have a, a meaningful effect. Fantastic. So I'm really interested to get to know you and your journey and how you got into property um, and then built up an incredible franchise where I think you've got over 200 branches. And I believe that um, you property franchise group have just agreed to buy you out and that's all going through so um we could be here for a lot longer discussing all of that but how did you get into how did you get into property in the first place yeah i think estate agents is one of those things not many people plan to go into it you kind of you kind of come by other means really and I'd, i mean i didn't do i did pretty well up to school up till a levels and messed about too much went to sheffield polytechnic and studied physics um <laughs> which wasn't me at all, really. God knows how I went down that route. And then I came out of that quite early. I left after a year and a half and just at various businesses. I was always kind of quite entrepreneurially minded. Mum and dad were always kind of very keen on us to to go that route. And uh, I loved it, although I was hopeless at it, very ill-disciplined. And I mean, I was selling mo I was selling phones just before mobile, just as mobile phones came in. I reckon I could have been a billionaire by the time I was 30 if I'd actually had some self-discipline. But um Anyway, that, those certain things didn't work out. I was on market stalls and all kinds of stuff, selling army surplus and women's clothes and all kinds of stuff. And um, and then my dad came to me one day and was saying, "Son, you better get a proper job, don't you think?" You <laughs> and uh, and so and I looked in the paper and there was an advert for a trainee valuer, a trainee valuer and trainee estate agent, an independent New York. Uh, I applied for that and. Um, Kind of the rest is history, really. Went from independent to corporate and then set up our own business back in 1992. Once you're in the business and you've got a mindset to be self-employed, it's pretty straightforward from there to, to open your own office and then expand from there. Okay, so you started, so you went from market stalls. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. I, I was there. I remember those cold <laughs> days, setting uh, up at five o'clock, maybe four o'clock in the morning, absolutely yes. freezing to death. Yes. Getting absolutely soaked as well. Yeah. Um, so 
just going on your first job then um, and training. So what did you learn from that um, to begin with? And then what made you decide that actually you wanted to become um, your own boss, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I remember hating it when I first started. To be honest, I remember being really nervous about making my first, first phone call to a vendor to arrange a viewing. You know, I really, really complete fish out of water. And, um, and so... Yeah, so I really, really uh, feel for people who come into the industry from scratch because it's quite a, can be quite a daunting place, was for me anyway. But I guess you know, for six months I hated it, and then actually I kept I joined as a trainee valuer, and the valuer who I just shadowed really, a guy called Dean Heaviside, um, he left after six months, and I think he was on like fifteen grand, I was on four, and that was the cheapest alternative. So they gave me the job as the valuer. And I remember I was hopeless at it. I mean, there was on our on the front desk where we worked, Glennis and Dee, who are negotiators, they had always had a stack of the files that were under negotiation. So the filing cabinet was behind them. When they got an offer, they put it on the desk. So the stack of the files. So you can see how busy the market was just by the stack of files on her desk in terms of stuff selling and at their desk. And um, I went took over the valuation. It was getting plenty on the market. But I remember looking at that stack about three months later. And it was down turned to like half a dozen files. Normally it'd be 30 or 40. And I suddenly realized it was me. I was valuing stuff too high just to get stuff on, you know. So um, so I, I you know, you learn from there and you learn by your mistakes. I made so many of them. So many times I've sat in a house and given people a valuation and and then and they said, that's far too much, or that's far too little, or whatever. And um sometimes been an order of like two or something. Anyway, but um so all that stuff did really in the deep end, but you had the sink or swim. And luckily, I, I swam, started to really enjoy it, like the people side of it, like the team side of it, like the competitive nature of it, because you know you really are toe to toe with the competition in our business. It's one of the most competitive sectors on the planet, I think, and um, especially in the UK. And um, and then kind of opportunities came from there. Really, you know, lots of the market. This was back probably mid eighties. Market was going pretty quickly and um then got a job for a corporate and then a bigger job for a corporate and then lost my job and set my business up okay so the big question i want to know is did you go from four thousand to fifteen thousand pounds <laughs> no no i think i went probably from four to eight or something probably <laughs> false economies my boss probably thought that was a great saving actually it probably cost him a fortune because they've lost sales we weren't doing but um but anyway it was it was good for me in terms of giving that leg up and um and i never looked back really um i do think though that it wouldn't have really mattered what business i'd got into i think for me being self-employed was the thing i wanted my own business i did aspire even back then to build something of significant value but more than value something that I could be really proud of. Legacy is really important in business. A few things that matter in business, you know, it's certainly, you know, building independent wealth, but also um, independence is key. But I think legacy is probably the most important thing. You want to build something you're really proud of. And that usually is just a culture, really. And I'm really proud of the culture we have in Hunters. We still have it to this day. We've been some, there were some really up there, ups and, ups and downs. But um, but I say, we, you know, we've we've had some tough times. We've had some good times. We've had no bad times. It's all been brilliant. I've loved every minute of it. Fantastic. And I can still see the passion that you have and the enthusiasm that you have. It's like starting again. 
from day one. Oh, mate, I envy anybody. I mean, people hate all the time. Oh, mate, I wouldn't like to be young today. But my God, I'd like to be young today. I mean, there's so many opportunities. I think more than ever because the world is being disrupted by obviously technology and with suddenly the acceleration that COVID's brought onto our sector, lots of other sectors. Wow, that's a wealth of opportunities. It creates gaps and people can go through them. And that's the wonderful thing about the creative destruction that is business. So setting up a business today, what an opportunity. I mean, you might not fail. You might not succeed first time. And I didn't succeed first time. But if you keep at it, you you know, if you keep at it, you're a good business idea what you're doing in business. You work hard at it. You can hardly fail, really. I think that's that's my view. That's my message to my children anyway. And anybody else wants to listen, you can hardly fail if you get those things right. Brilliant. Thank you. Right. So you've just given me loads more questions to ask you. <laughs> I'm, going to I'm going to come back because I do want to discuss legacy and I do want to discuss mm. culture because that's obviously important. But I just want to come back when you first opened. Um, and we've got a lot of people that watch this and listen to this and are thinking about setting up themselves and obviously, you know, very nervous um, times with what's going on. Where would they go out and get those first properties from? You know, so you started, you mm. start, you started with nothing. You've mm. now built up to over two hundred um, franchises, which is amazing, and and credit to you and all your team. That's absolutely fantastic. But there's a saying: every winner was once a beginner. So you were a beginner. You were starting off your business. Um, what did you do to get those properties on? Oh, we didn't have a single property on the wall. I remember it so well, the whole thing, and we just did everything possible. I, I, I'll tell you a funny story. The first, um, well, we, obviously, our job is about valuations. Too often in this business, people worry about lead conversion, valuing a house, getting in the market, or customer service, and those things are really important. But lead generation is everything, absolutely everything. And we kind of don't invest enough in it, both in terms of time and money as, as an industry. And that's what we tell our franchisees all the time. Lead generation is what counts. So anything we can. Anyway, so one of the first valuations I got was this house in York down Stockton Lane. And we were quite excited just think, thinking and getting a property on the market. It was a nice property, a nice part of town as well. So I went around, knocked on the door, and it had been snowing. It would be like today. It had been snowing. And I always got there late because of the traffic and stuff. So um, this lady opened, knocked on the door. Lady opened, she, she says, well, you're late. I said, well, yeah, I'm really sorry, but are you know everything. Well, I'm in business myself. You must never be late for an appointment. She's quite posh, like Mrs. Bouquet or whoever it was. Um, and um, and she said, uh, you know, actually, I'm going to cancel the appointment because I think it's disgraceful you're late. Okay. I said, listen, just give me 10 minutes. I'm really sorry. Give me 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I just want a quick walk around and uh, and I'll be out of your way in no time. Anyway, she obviously took pity on me. Hello. So I was trying to improve the, uh, our kind of relationship. So you're looking for that icebreaker, aren't you? Like a set of golf clubs or a book on the mantelpiece that you've read or something like that. Uh, book on the bookshelves. Anyway, my eyes settled on this painting over the mantelpiece. And this painting was of this bloke in this big black cloak, big black hat, really old oil painting, gilt frame. And um, and uh, I said, that's a lovely oil painting. I should. Thank you very much. That's a family heirloom. All right, okay. And I got a bit closer and I said, the guy in that painting looks just like Anthony Hopkins. She said, that's my great-grandmother. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah. Um, so, uh, so yes, but yeah, shot, the, the kind of moral of the story, apart from not saying stupid things in houses, is 
it's all about the valuations. You've just got to do everything. So we we uh, rang up the private ads in the in the in the newspaper. We spoke to every single person we knew, every single person we knew. We um, you know we we chased down every lead, everything. I mean, we didn't have much money to advertise. We didn't do we put advert in the paper, of course, that kind of stuff. But everybody's doing that. So it's just you just work really hard from eight in the morning till eight at night, seven days a week, just grinding it out. Actually, Saturday afternoons I played cricket. Um, the sat, um, but you know that's but that's what you've got to do, and it just absolutely everything is about lead generation. I remember there's an estate agent down in um, down in oh, near Cambridge, um, Huntington area called Hunters. It was also called Hunters actually before they got bought out by the Prue. Um, very good friends of mine, and they used to have a thing. Um, which was whenever they went to the pub at night, all the staff had to get evaluation in the pub. You had to get evaluation in the pub when you were out. And that's the kind of that mentality. It brings a mentality within your organisation that lead generation is the most important thing. Now, it's very funny you should say that because I like that's a game for me. Okay, so whenever I go on my training, I have managed to pick up market appraisals in Italian restaurants um in my hotel um yep. in ta in taxis um yep. where wherever i go um and people think i'm crazy so i turn up because actually you're right and you touched on about lead generation so you know my big thing is or that i've learned is that 95 percent of agents don't have any stay in touch policy whatsoever once they've sold the property and it's incredibly yeah. scary so yeah. i just demonstrate how how easy it is to have that stay in touch policy just by having simple conversations um, with people. But um, that's the point. It's conversation. I think what we're looking for, of course, this stuff is hard. That's the people that do it. And we have a, 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 people are looking for a silver bullet for solution for this rather than – and there's a problem with that if you think of it. You know, and we have an expression when we teach our franchisees, this success in this business is not hard sell. It is hard yards. Now – most people don't do want to do the hard yards, which is the point. Is this if you do the hard yards, that's you that's your moat, as Warren Buffett would call it. That's you that's where the others can't come and assail your castle walls when you built your number one market share. So love the hard hard yards, but do the hard yards at all costs. You know, and th this is what you've got to do. So expect just oh we'll do a bit of social media, which is like a broadcast with nobody listened to, or you or you just send out a few emails and then that keep just that way. That isn't the point. You've got to do the hard yards, which is really hard work, and it's and it's you know twenty four seven, and love it. But if you find a job you love, you'll never work again. And we loved our job, so we didn't mind doing it. Brilliant. So we've got a few comments here. So hi, Andrea from Snowy Perth. Thanks for joining us. Sarah, lead generation should be all the time. There has to be a hunger and an eye for opportunity. Michelle mentioned burger fans. Michelle, remind me. How many properties did you pick up from a burger fan? Because that is a great story. Um, and hi, Patience. Thanks very much for joining us from Kent. Really appreciate it as well. So, so some great, great stories there. Brings well, I can't remember one of you, the second person you mentioned said it. Lead generation should be doing it all the time. That is so true. And what, what we tend to do is we do it until we get busy and then we stop doing it. Because we're busy enough. And then suddenly you're three months later, you're quiet again. You don't ever stop. 
you do it all the time. So we have something called a big five. It's five things you do all the time <clears throat> to generate the leads. And it's things, and it is it is about you know lead generation through your contact base. It is about um, it's about Google reviews. It's about uh, fifteen thousand leaflets per office per month going through people's doors. Twelve months of the year. It's a branded cars. It's radio advertising. It's a suite of things. It happens all the time. The um, my very good friend and co-director Martin Robinson put a house on the market in Weatherby once, and he asked the client. It was a really good one. He was very pleased. He asked the client why he instructed us rather than the competition. And he said, "Well, he said, um, I, I, um, I, I, I left in the office the other day. I drove past the hunter's office and saw the hunter's office. Then when I drove down the road. I passed the hunter's mini, and then." Um, Next one. Well, next morning, when I woke up, there was a hunter's leaflet on my doorstep, and I turned the radio on. There was a hunter's advert. <laughs> so I thought, These people are all over the place, and that's what it's going to look like. You've got this multiplier effect, so that it's almost everywhere you look, there is something with your brand in that person's face. And that, of course, you're still going to lose them to other people at times, but that's going to increase your chances just that little bit. A little of those in incremental improvements in lots of different areas will mean your success or failure if you don't make them or you do make them. 100%. So um, Michelle's replied from her burger fan conversation, um, roughly 300 properties. It's not right. a bad conversation at a burger fan, is it? Um, and then also contractors, I find a great source um, as well. Mm, yeah. um, I'm turning on this hand and I'm finding investment properties to sell to our investors. Carly, multiple touch points in every way um and um your friends from sunny north wales daffid harvey says okay 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 kev so um, <laughs> I <definitely> uh, you. <laughs> thank, thank, thanks thanks for joining us can i just can i ask you a question then because you mentioned leaflets and um i know there was a little bit of publicity in manchester with um an agent that um put something about covid i don't know whether you saw it or not it was hot in the press maybe that's a good thing but view on leafleting now um, with paper and COVID, is that something that you think is a good idea or not? Yeah, well, I mean, I, your work is an exemption for COVID rules. So, um, and me, the work of late generation is the most important thing. So um, I I personally would say, you know, you know, use the, you know, sanitize whatever, whatever you need to, but um, I wouldn't stop leafleting now. Um, because it's essential to your business. I mean, you go bust if you don't get leads. So, yeah, you put necessary precautions in place. I'll distribute them through the Royal Mail. To be honest, we moved to that when we got bigger. We moved to that um, uh, delivery solution. But, um, um, but you know, I, I wouldn't stop that. COVID. What sort of message then would you be putting on there? Because it's a bit, um, you know, uh, do you want a free valuation? You know, obviously that's yeah, not adding value in whatsoever. I don't really think it matters. Um, I think as long as the, it, it's a repetition thing. So, yeah, the message you wants to be eye-catching and, and um, you know, and attractive and clear, the message, but it doesn't really matter. I, I don't think that's the point of difference. I think generally, I mean, we tend to put properties on them because it's just more pick up and quick glance before they go in the bin, maybe that property down the road or whatever. So, um, but I don't think the key thing is your brand and people showing you proactive. And um, so uh, there's no, there's no kind of one way to do those that are better than another, I don't think. Okay. Brilliant. So coming back, 
So 100% lead generation. So thank you for sharing all of those and your big five as well. Very grateful. Um, so going from one office to then um, over 200 offices was a big step. Mm. Um, what made you decide to go down the franchise route? And over the years, what lessons have you learned from that? Okay. So... There's a great principle in a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Dr. Stephen Covey. And one of those principles is you begin with the end in mind. So we always wanted to be really successful locally and nationally. So we always had that ambition to be a national business. And I think it's really important you know where you want to get to. That's not to say business people that want a single office and and, and to run the business that way is is any inferior anyway so whatever you think whatever end in mind you want which has got to feed back into your lifestyle and your life's aspirations that's the most important thing not your business what it means for your life so um but we started three simple principles brilliant service to the customer big winning the marketplace locally and we wanted to win nationally and uh to have a lot of fun so we knew what we wanted right at the start so the key thing about going franchising was the second thing, which was winning nationally. So by by 2005, we started in 92. 2005, we've got 10 offices regionally. We're in Manchester, Leeds, York, Harrogate. So we were turning over about 10 million quid, 10 offices. So these are pretty big offices, but we weren't anywhere near national. We think, Christ almighty, this has been 13 years, fun, but hard. And we want to be national. We want to 200 offices, 500 offices, whatever. So, and then we, we still looked at the options and, we, you know, to do that, group wise was going to be borrowing a lot of money or very slow um if we'd open them all ourselves so we thought well what about franchising in fact to get a good friend of mine russell manning actually from manning statens in leeds i was sat with him in our leeds office i think we were talking about home information packs at the time and um and he talked about we just talked about expansion he said oh i looked at franchising i thought franchise i thought oh, no, i'm not going to do that and i thought oh interesting and so i started to research it and um and the, you know, the, the kind of rest is history, really. Um, so it just, for me, it's a fantastic way to run a business because it helps us. We just mentor other business people, really. We give them a brand. We give them some purchasing discount in terms of portals and like very significant discount. Um, we give them the know-how and, you know, we take all the hassle off them and let them do what they like doing, which is going out there and generating the leads and converting them into sales and looking after the customer. And it's a far more, I think it's a better model for a state agency because I know we know that the most important thing you can do in terms of customer service is know your market. You've got to know your market as the as the as an estate in, in a marketplace. Well, if your staff are leaving every couple of years, as they tend to do in some of the bigger corporates, then how can they know the market? They just don't know the market. So franchising actually pins a person to a location, and these are really good people. Obviously, you know, there's varying degrees of success. There's no doubt about it. But so for everything we liked doing, A, we want to be big. B, we like mentoring other business people. I always loved that. It was just a match in, made in heaven, really. I mean, we had a really tough start, really, really tough start to it. Lost a fortune, spent a fortune on it, hit the recession in 2008, kind of went from – uh, we got to 10 offices, we got to 25, 15 franchises. Then we went back, we closed some of our own offices in 2008 and another franchises closed for obvious reasons. We're back down to about maybe 14, 15 offices. And, um, but then grew again from there and, and kind of the rest kind of is history there. Phenomenal. And well done, well done on your recent sale. 
Um, yeah, it's a sad day in many ways because, uh, as I say, I I, lo <laughs> I love the business and it, most of the companies staying with you know Glynis and who's uh, chief exec and Ed and everybody else. They're all staying with the business, so very little will change. But um, I'm not going with the business. I, I, I'll probably feel pretty much irrelevant at that point in time, really. And uh, it's, it's probably time for me to move on, and try something else. But um, but yes, I've loved every minute of it. Fantastic. So can I come back? You started and you talked about culture. So, mm -hmm. you know, going from one to 10 branches, how did you um, get that culture into the business? And also, how did you go about and recruit the best people? Yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot. So we could have done it so much better. So um, I think, you know, you've got to, you've got to, first establish i think how you you sit with your first office you're successful you've got to can distill uh, or be able to articulate exactly why you've been successful and then you make sure everybody else fits into that system so and i don't think we did it sufficiently well i think what you tend to do is we're doing really well picked up market share pretty quick worked hard at it and became the new kids on the block and got to number one market share probably within a couple of years in york and uh, then we you just plug holes with people you just throw people into roles and and you you just hope they're going to do stuff you're right that's totally the wrong way so we should have spent more time recruiting uh, making sure and more more time just making sure that they did everything that you that you know works around that lead generation, around that focus on on uh, servicing contacts and calling applicants and vendors and all that thing to generate leads. So I would have systemized our business much earlier. John, my business partner, John Waterhouse, great guy, and we're still business partners to this day. Um, he um, he went into an empty house once, and he came back with a with an audio tape. That was actually theft, I'm sure they with this audio tape at his house. And um there's nobody living in the house, so I'm sure they'd left it behind. But um um and it was got a, a book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Yeah. And if you want to make your business a big business, if you want to have a good lifestyle as well as a business, if you want to keep it small, read that book, listen to that tape, whatever you get it on the internet these days. And it's brilliant. He just talks about systemizing your business. And then um, that's the only way to to produce a consistent result is through a systemization of your business. So we did a lot of that after we learned that, those rules. And we, had, we took all our staff to listen to Michael Gerber speak live and that kind of stuff. He's a wonderful guy to listen to. And that's, again, the basis of franchising, really, because it's a systemized, systemized approach to tackling certain issues that all agents face. So, um, so yes, uh, learned lots, and uh, I wish I'd learned it much quicker. <laughs> Thank you. Um, great book. Um, you talked a lot, actually, about, or you talked previously about tech. And I think you were involved in Visi Homes many, many years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and another product. So what have you seen change, especially now with what's going on with um, COVID <laughs> and lockdown that you or hunters have implemented that you think, wow, this is great and is making a difference to um, to the customers out there? Well, well, first thing I'd say is I, I walk by so many estate agents offices these days and look through the window and see people with a mouse like stare at a computer screen. Like that. 
and that's the opposite of what you should be doing. Your, your phone should be glued to your ear. You're always speaking to somebody. You're not going to list houses and generate leads like that. So we technology has its place. Technology should be I think we've used technology in, in our sector really as a, a, an electronic filing cabinet. And really, it is not that. It should be a liberator. It should take steps out of the process. That's what it should do. So it should allow people to work remotely without even going back to the office, for example. It should, um, it should uh, allow um, tenants to report a fault and for a contract to come straight in without it going through anybody's hands. It should allow... A vendor to a range of viewing or evaluation on the property, or a, or a buyer or tenant, without touching an agent. It should take steps out of the process. And hunters, we're just developing some new software, a CRM software, completely from scratch, and we call it Skipper because it skips steps out of the process and takes away things that we don't actually need to do. So that's what technology should do, but that should mean we have more time to speak to clients. That's what it's about. So don't think of this technology will be disintermediated as agents. Far from it. will be more important than ever. And it's important we use that extra time to, uh, you know, compete, spend more time speaking to people. Brilliant. Thank you. So I'm sure you never get asked this question whatsoever. Stamp duty. Hmm. Yes. Yes, uh, generally our, our extension of the of the stamp duty holiday. I think both, to be perfectly honest with you. But, uh, generally, we should scrap it. Um, um, and the stamp duty holiday, we shouldn't we shouldn't extend what's there already. We should just allow a period of time for existing deals to go through. If you extend, I'll, I'll tackle the second one first. If you simply extended it, it'd be another cliff edge. So what's the point in that? And the cliff edge is the problem, really. So we should simply say, if you've got a mortgage offer by the end of this month, end of February, we'll give you another two months, let's say, at the, at the end of March to complete that deal. And that is then fair to people who are, who are expected to get the, the stamp duty uh, uh, kind of concession and and look like it might get held up in the process because of the logjam in conveyancing, which is massive. That's a massive logjam. And I've never known a time when pipelines are so, so slow to come through. So that's why we should deal with that. Um, generally, it's a really bad idea to tax transactions because it puts a break on economic activity. And we know how important the housing market is to the economy and to other parts of the economy. Um, and the knock-on effect it has when people move house. Lots of different sectors do really well, legal, uh, mortgages, um, white goods, all that stuff, you know what it is. So, um, so, but it produces, residential stamp duty produces about £8 billion a year in revenue. And you might have noticed we've already got a problem with our, uh, our deficit, a bigger problem now since COVID, and that problem is going to get much worse down the line. Healthcare, pensions, social care, uh, debt to GDP, to the size of the economy is currently about 100% of the economy. According to the OBR, it's going to go to 300% of the economy, 314% by 2060 because of those pressures. So we need more tax, not less tax. So we can't simply scrap it and think, oh, well, it's, it's okay, it'll come back in other parts of the economy. So um, I personally think we should restructure all the property taxation, council tax, stamp duty, wrap it all into one, make it more proportionate to the value of a property, a proportional property tax. You can. Google it. it's quite great, a few great. thank you 
and likelihood of that happening pretty remote because it's uh, <laughs> like all these things all sensible tax reforms are usually politically difficult so i think there'll be some changes i think there'll probably be a revaluation of council tax and um you know, whether that's enough to then because under that thing of revaluation council tax completely you could have scrapped stamp duty but i think you know it's very very difficult to come up with a completely new approach to um to taxation i think we should on business rates for example i think we should just scrap the abolish business rates completely but then you've got 30 billion quid with money to find annually and um but i think we should just whack it on vat that's what i think that it's fair for everybody so um but this stuff is politically challenging so in an if if you're in a dictatorship you do this stuff straight away but when you rely on getting voted in every five years it's more difficult okay you talked about the log jam and mm -hmm. um, people's constipated pipelines which uh, i think i read there's about 600 of thousand um currently um stuck in that log jam um i'm sure since um when you got into the industry and when i got into the industry in the 90s i don't think we've actually seen much change in the um process from um how it is um so what can be changed in that you know to, i mean it's incredibly stressful selling a property and it takes absolutely ages um to mm. get a property through from you know once you agree it um to um exchange and until you exchange there's still no certainty you know people can pull out we've also seen in hackney um with the searches you know they've been hacked as well um surely there must be a way and i know there's committees out there trying to trying to resolve this and sort this out but i mean i can't believe in 30 40 odd years we haven't got any further especially with all the tech there is now i mean i just find it in incredible yeah, I couldn't agree more, you know, and um, as you say, initiative after initiative, looking to um, digitize everything. I, I don't think land registry helped because they've not been not really invested in their, in their kind of um, offering, uh, which can make it easier, digitizing searches, all this stuff. But we don't seem to be much closer. I think part of it is um, certainly mortgages are more difficult to come by in terms of the process. There's not the um, you know the the checks and balances that lenders have to go through take longer um and the fact that um i think conveyances who used to be that are some solicitor probably of all kind of ages and um pretty experienced who usually take a view on things and, and be able to kind of read through this pretty quickly now it seems to move to very much a tick boxing uh ticking boxes exercise by people who are less experienced and and therefore and probably job shares and a lot of these um a lot of these conveyancing firms specialist conveyancing firms which we've kind of supported as a sector because we can drive revenue at the at the uh, selling our conveyancing services so i think we're part of the problem to be honest i think we need to look at the whole thing again distill it the, the constituent parts down um and uh, trying to find those incremental improvements in every single step and i think that's certainly possible looking at reservation agreements which is tackles one of the issues you refer to which i think they use in the us which may help um but there's no silver bullet solution for this it's going to be pretty tough and uh and it's going the wrong way at the moment and we need to reverse that trend at least and get it back to at least we used to have a third of the pipeline go through every month and now it's probably 18 percent 
on average so low it's, it's which helps all you know hits all our cash flow and hits the wider economy if you get acceleration of this of course it all is it's good for economic activity so i wish there was an easy solution out there but there's not i think somebody's got to get right in under the bonnet of it and really bring all that stuff together highlight all the issues bring it all together and try and facilitate um solutions to all those different constituent problems okay so with your considerable experience why aren't you the housing minister <laughs> why, why, why is it a, why is it a revolving door with housing ministers all the time? I mean, yeah. I don't know how many where we are the last counts, but it seems to be a, ro a revolving door the whole time. Yeah, I think we've had one a year on average for fifteen years. I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a position you apply for. I would love to be housing minister, um, uh, but you know, that's uh, it's not within my gift to say why or why not. Really, I'll just keep doing the work I do in Parliament and maybe one day you get that recognition somewhere would be housing or anywhere else um, I don't think it helps having this turnover of housing ministers I think we've got very good housing secretary actually Rob Jenrick I think he's he's very um, business like business savvy and um, I think he's done some good stuff so um, so yes I mean I, I'd love to and I do work a lot of work on housing with him and others so a lot of stuff I do feed in, not that I'm responsible for all the, the things we've got wrong in terms of housing policy over the last few years, and there's been quite a few. Um, but um, but I think generally the direction of travel is, is pretty good. And um, But I think you're absolutely right. Housing being one of the key parts of the economy, key parts of the social problems we have as well in terms of affordability. So we really do need a more consistent long-term approach and focus on on that, which I think is pretty it's pretty simple to resolve actually affordability problems and i think we're going the wrong way about it at the moment for example i think where we solve our affordability problems at the moment is we allow a load of houses to be built and with some of them get allocated as affordable whereas so we're getting lots of stuff we don't necessarily need to get stuff that we do need which is the affordable stuff so there's some good solutions out there but um it'd be good to have more influence over them okay well i look forward to seeing you as housing minister okay. <laughs> I'm sure some people were here will have a word with Boris and make a difference right. and his key advisors as well. <laughs> um, I was incredibly grateful for your time. So thank you. Um, a couple of final questions. Um, what do you do to self-develop and self-improve? Um, you know, you mentioned the E-Myth, which is a really good book. You mentioned mm. Stephen Convey, which is a great book. Um, any other suggestions that have helped you over your career? Oh, tons. I mean, yeah, one of my greatest inspirations is reading, actually, uh, and um, and not just books, novels, but about other people. So inspirational characters in business, um, Steve Jobs, Warren Buffett, James Goldsmith, whoever, take great inspiration from them. So um, it's amazing how few people, how people don't spend enough time listening to other people who've done stuff. Um, I've got to say, most of the things we did at Hunters, I told you a story about Russell Manning, but most of the stuff we did at Hunters, we copied off other people. You know, we were part of the Home Sale Network, and the, the legends of that network were, were, were Romans. And, and we spent time uh, with Dale and uh, with Peter, and, and um, just they'd tell us everything. And so, you know, too often when we've got a problem, we try and solve it by creative thinking, and really find somebody who's already solved it ask them how they solved it maybe tinker with it a little bit but more or less you can get a ready 
fixed straight out the box. So generally it's been learning from other people and it can be people around you. It can be the people on the front line. It can be people in books. It can be people who have been really successful. And uh, that's where I'd recommend anybody to go to. Brilliant, brilliant advice. So knowing what you know now, if you were opening a game, what would you do differently? Um, well, okay, I would be, I'd be more sure of myself, I think. That sounds a bit arrogant, but yeah, a bit Gordon Ramsay, okay, he might not be seen as the most kind of, um, um, kind of sensitive, uh, most sensitive management style ever, but he knows exactly what a player food looks like, the right player, what exactly looks like. And he won't tolerate people taking that food, letting that food go out, unless it's perfect. Unless it's perfect. And we should be like that in our businesses. Not that you should be able to ball and shout or anything, but you should just insist on high standards. This is what I believe. This is how we this is how we put houses on the market. This is how we grow our market share. And I want you to adopt the same style and train people really well. Give people the skills, training, and don't be afraid to let people go if they can't hack it. Because if you let people kind of stay in your organization and we're not up to it it's bad for them it's bad for your organization so just be much clearer exactly what uh, what constituted success what it looked like make sure everybody within your business follows it and for us it really was um you know that michael gerber lead generation three parts of your business lead generation lead conversion customer fulfillment those are the three constituent parts. You name me any business in the world that doesn't uh, doesn't have those three parts and only those three parts, there are none. That's exactly what they are. And so you, you need to be brilliant to all those three areas. And the only thing I'd add to it, though, you need to have a lot of fun. We loved it. We had great fun. It was tough at times. You know, it was bloody worked hard, but we always go to the pub and have great fun afterwards. So, so yeah, in short, I would just be so clear exactly what the standard was and help people to meet the standard uh, and tell them how they're doing against the standard and help them to meet it tell them how they can improve keep reviewing it but ultimately you know take people the good people with you i'm afraid not everybody can can complete the journey yeah making sure you've got the right people in the right seats of a bus absolutely it's a it's a brilliant book good to great jim collins yeah yeah fantastic book um kevin thank you so much for your time i'm incredibly grateful thank you all for watching or listening whether you're watching now or in replay incredibly grateful um loads of exceptional tips and insights in there so thank you um we look forward to seeing you as housing minister um as the next one very soon um and be interesting to see what happens with stamp duty but thank you so much for your time and um have a great afternoon and thank you thank very you. much. And thank you all for watching. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it.